I want to welcome you to the Dig Deep podcast. I'm Heidi Holton. I'm the one who kind of gets the guys together. The guys are our liberal commentator, Aaron Brown, our conservative, Chuck Marone. And we provide a space here at KEXE, KBXE, and through our podcast for them to dig into issues that are on their minds, that they are hearing from the people in their communities. In this extra conversation, it's a little bit stripped bare. This is where they can really kind of dig into some issues. And they're talking about more about elections because that's on everyone's mind, of course. They're talking about health care. They're talking about a national health care as well as universal basic income. All really interesting in the times that we are living in. If you appreciate this, maybe you found us somehow. Maybe you live a long way away from northern Minnesota. We need your support to keep this kind of conversation going. You don't just hear it everywhere else. Pledge your support now. Become a member of the Dig Deep podcast crew by being a member of KEXE, KBXE. You can go to KEXE.org and pledge your support at $5 a month. I will sneak you one of the new masks we're getting for KEXE, KBXE. Just let us know that you are pledging because of Dig Deep. Coming up, Aaron Brown and Chuck Marone. On a quiet, cold I'm going to lay out two examples. Um, there was a point in the 2000 election where, you know, everything was in, in dispute, hanging chads, Florida. I've read accounts of this. Um, and I'm going to say this. I, I actually think Al Gore is a, is a fairly honorable person. Um, I know that a lot of Republicans don't think that, but I actually think, you know, for a politician uh, of, of that, you know, stature, I actually think he's a, he's a fairly honorable guy. And there was a point towards the end of that where he had a decision to make. And the decision that he could make is, I am going to continue basically political guerrilla warfare to, to, to go on with this, or I'm going to walk away and George W. Bush will be president. And I feel like he spared us. Um, he sacrificed his own aspirations to be president, which he had held for a, a long time. And he sacrificed his own, you know, power in order for the Republic to have a, a legitimate president. And even though I've heard Al Gore, and I, I think it's a little distasteful, he's, he said, you know, I, I was elected president of the United States in 2000. It's one of his like stump, you know, things. He does say it as a joke and he doesn't say it in, you know, to, to create foment and undermine the president. And he never went out and did that to George W. Bush. He was always very respectful of the fact that he was the duly elected president by our process. I look at uh, Norm Coleman with, with uh, Al Franken and the recount that we had there. And there was a point in time in that recount where there could have been appeals, things could have been argued, we could start looking at, you know, mail-in ballots and you know, validity of different things. And the, the margin of error was, and I've said this before, and we had a little bit of argument about it, but I, I think it's, the, the margin of error was essentially a coin flip. Like you could have kept counting ballots and you would have at some time had Coleman win and at some time had Franken win, depending on how you counted them and how you went through. Just because uh, the, the millions of ballots counted, the margin of error was, the margin of error was greater than the, the discrepancy between who won and who lost in that election. 
And Norm Coleman basically said, Minnesota needs a legitimate senator. We need someone who's elected. We need someone who's going to serve. It's not going to do Minnesota any good to have this drag on for months. I could fight this. I may prevail. But the good of the state, the good of the process says that I've done the reasonable things. I've come out at the, you know, at this point as the loser of this election. And now is the time for me to step aside. I look at both of those two examples, one from the left and one from the right, as being people with integrity who essentially went through the process and got to a resolution they didn't like and then accepted it for the good of the whole. I don't know as we have, and, and maybe I'm being overly cynical, but I don't feel like Donald Trump will do that. I mean, I think he's been pretty clear that he is not interested in doing that. I, I doubt whether Biden will do that, not because I think he lacks integrity, but because I think he won't, he wouldn't be allowed to. I mean, the, 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 the uproar within his own party, if he were to, you know, take the high ground and, and not fight till the very last, you know, bullet was spent, um, you know, the stakes are so high, humanity's at stake, how could you not? Um, have we just reached a point where we are going to be incapable of you, know, you made the point in the last segment, Aaron, you know, without a judicial system that functions, we're a banana republic. I would say we're a banana republic if we don't have people of integrity who are willing to put, in a sense, the, the institutions of the country, uh, you know, and, and when the gray areas come to bear, actually, you know, put the institutions of the country before their own pursuits. I, I read Tell me that. I'm wrong. I, I don't know that. No, I don't think you're wrong. I think um, part of what makes a democracy work is, is especially in a two where there's two sides. Um, there could, in a parliamentary system, be five or six parties, but we have two major parties in this country. And what sustains us is the notion that, you know, Democrats or Republicans either could have a, a bad election. We have all had bad elections. Um, but that, uh, hey, it's like baseball. There's another season, you know. And oh, we'll what be... a bad analogy. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, too like close. Too... Oh, because of the twins. Too yeah. raw. Too raw. <laughs> no. Well, hey, I tell you, watch what happened to the Poor twins Chuck. and what's happening to America is is a similar. It actually touches some of the same <laughs> parts of my parts of my psyche. But um, point being, uh, I've lost, I've been involved in campaigns and lost them. And, oh, that's a gut punch and it hurts and you hate it and you really, oh, that other person got in and, ooh, but that's how she goes sometimes, you know, and, and um, you know, my side, quote unquote, is going to get another shot at this and we get to govern in the minority or we get to, you know, be the loyal opposition, uh, maybe not so loyal, but the opposition and we, 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 we battle on. And uh, we have just as good a chance of winning the next one once our ideas are proven right and their ideas are proven wrong. And, and, and while there's also a lot of corruption and battles and, and nastiness in politics and always have been, uh, this general idea needs to be believed by both parties. Both parties need to believe this um, in order for it, the whole thing to work. What we've got now, it started a little bit in in 12, maybe a little bit more in 16, but now it's just going more in this direction. What we've got now is this notion that 
if the other side wins, uh, my next, the 2024 campaign, we know will be crooked and will be fixed. And I'll never have another chance to win the presidency or the Senate or the House or the whatever, uh, because the other side, and, and, and I think a lot of this, and I know there's a lot of both side-ism in, in the air right now, that debate didn't look particularly good for either candidate. Um, you know, in the last, uh, the first presidential debate. Um, and, and, but I have to, and, and I, I really have searched my soul as the liberal side of this conversation, whether or not I'm just saying this because it's my political opinion or whether it's true. But I think we have to look at the behavior of the president as being a force that has brought out the worst, not only in his party, but in the other party, in my party, the Democratic Party, and, and is in fact leading us down the road of the assumption that defeat in the 2020 election is total defeat. And, um, and that, um, you know, a fair election, uh, this may be the last fair election. Demo a lot of Democrats believe that. If, if we lose this one, there won't be another fair one. Republicans believe that. And I think Republicans do too. They, in fact, this is a war. Of, I mean, the reason yeah. you support Trump is because this is a war of annihilation. And if the Democrats right. take over, they're going right. to redistrict and it's going to be done. And there will be a hundred years of democratic rule. And they're going to shove every, you know, anti-rural policy yep. down our throats. Yeah. You know, uh, kindergartners wearing, um, wearing chaps, you know, uh, around, you know, it'll be terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think that is the top Republican agenda. But you you may you may be onto something. I, I'm know? sorry what, if I tip my liberal cards. What we uh, yeah, all no. believe we all believe. You know that's a little Freudian <laughs> slip there. Um, <laughs> um, it it uh, it definitely uh, feels that way. That that there's this notion of forever to this election. That's why I say when I said earlier I, this one might actually be a one of those elections that's the most important ever, if only because, as we pointed out earlier, we all believe what we all believe. Uh, everyone <laughs> believes it is. Uh, this could be the last one. Now, in reality, I think a lot of this election will go down kind of like a normal election. A lot, the people, it's kind of like Y2K. You know, you say Y2K was a big nothing. Uh, in fact, there were a lot of coding problems in our computer software around the country, and we had some time to prepare for them. Um, but I think um, there are uh, some signs that a lot of states at least have a plan. Most Americans understand that it won't be decided on election night. There's got to take some time to count all the votes. There'll be a lot more mail-in votes. People seem to be down with that. They seem to understand that. Um, we just have one side saying that mail votes are, are inherently crooked, even though the president himself uses mail votes um, but but it, it, it's it's this idea out there that we are doomed uh, just by the very the very execution of the election um, is 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 a potential uh, end of our republic when in fact that election just might be a normal election and it, the polls show Biden might win he might win uh, the election but the question is what happens after now I've read a lot of things and of course the president is you know. A lot of bluster um, and and isn't always uh, of the type to follow through when things get hard. Uh, maybe 
if the election is clear, if it's, you know, 300 some electoral votes to whatever, um, you know, maybe he, they, maybe he's just finally shown the door by his own party and just says, you know, let's, let's just start fresh. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess that's the big unknown. And um, I think, though, that the problem, the, the fire we're playing with is the assumption that defeat at, a, at a, in a fair election is the end of our republic, because that is civil war talk. That is what happened when Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860. And he had to ride into the, he had to take a train into Washington uh, he had to take different routes than expected because it was assumed he would encounter problems on the normal route. He snuck in in disguise with his collar turned up and uh, his hat slung over his eyes and was recognized by a former congressional colleague on the train into Washington, D.C. at night. And uh, and he was trying not to be noticed and was sheepish about being called out as the next president of the United States because of the division in the country. And of course, that was well-founded. We have a, we had a civil war because the Southern states couldn't abide um, a uh, anti-slavery, potentially anti-slavery president. Right. And, and that, that's our story of America. Um, Chuck, you made a comment in the tease of our, this extra here. Uh, I'd love to explore is, is um, has it always, you know, are there these people of integrity, do they, are they always there to rescue us in times of peril in America? And we can think of some examples. You listed some. Uh, or has America always kind of been the, a home for the skullduggery and things that, and have, have we always had these existential threats that we've merely through coincidence or economic necessity uh, avoided at the last minute? Uh, or, or we haven't avoided, but history has just erased them. Yeah, and that's that's actually a better way to put it because yeah. um, I'd say that I'd lean a little more in that direction because there, you know, the you look at Tilden versus Hayes, uh, the presidential race in the 1870s, where the, the one of the first cases where the popular vote um, that it was like the second time the popular vote did not match the electoral college outcome. And it's one of the ones that gets the most attention because there was some genuine skullduggery involved in there, there how was some uh, deals made. Deals yeah. were made that that gave the election to Hayes, the Republican, uh, over uh, Tilden. I believe that's correct. Tilden was mm -hmm. the de was the was the uh, Democrat, and uh, and in exchange, the Democrats got some basically pork. Some some. Democratic uh, Congress. Well, and an end to a lot of Reconstruction, things. and 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 the end to Reconstruction. But they also right. got some some considerations in their districts. Some of the the, mm -hmm. the people who voted to put right. Tilden, I'm sorry, to put Hayes into the White House, um, and and so there is that story. And you want, I don't know what it would have meant uh, um, had uh, had things gone differently, had Hayes gotten in one way or the other. But um, it definitely is. There's a lot of that too. There's a lot of great moments that could have been where people could have received equal justice and rights earlier in American history. Reconstruction itself is one of the ugly. It, it, Reconstruction is in many ways uglier than the Civil War itself because of the abject cruelty that began to occur in the South um, by the defeated Confederate forces against the freed blacks who were trying to make communities and lives for themselves as newly freed people. Um, I grew up rather unaware of the Reconstruction. Um, 
my wife and I were just having a conversation the other day about how she and I both didn't learn about Japanese internment camps in World War II until college. Neither of us learned about Native American boarding schools until college or, or in, in maybe even later than college um, in her case. These are remarkably huge parts of American history, not good ones, uh, that, that um, get kind of brushed under the rug because it doesn't fit the story. Right. And I've also been um, overwhelmed perhaps with uh, this notion in my head that I, I've talked about this before, but we live in times of marketing and America is a country of marketing, always has been from the very beginning. Merchants, we're a nation of merchants uh, casting off shackles uh, that really has a lot to do with making a lot of money as merchants uh, and, and living, you know, uh, the um, uh, well, the marketing life, sure life, life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You know, what, right. what Jefferson meant was property and what Jefferson meant was really more tied to the merchant history of the United States right. than, than anything else. And so we have this kind of notion of marketing that's always at our core. And America is struggling right now with the, the two realities of our lives as Americans, all the good stuff that we all seem to like, the prosperity, the, the, the freedom of speech and the Bill of Rights and the, the rights that we have and the protections that we have as citizens and the, and the wonderful, you know, copious amounts of food and resources that are available and all of this stuff that is really great about America. And, and then also this, this almost sociopathic cruelty uh, that has that has inhabited our souls at times in this country, uh, at different points in history that it's not very comfortable to point out. But um, you know, we we there's a reason I didn't learn about those things in school, and it, it doesn't fit the story. And I think a lot of what's uncomfortable about the present times is is this this notion that we are being you know whether it's Black Lives Matter and what's happened with uh, race relations in this country, with criminal justice and the the difficulty of reforming, not just criminal justice, but police, the police departments of this country that overwhelmingly difficult because they, they call into question some of the, the marketing that we, you know, it's like telling us that Coke's bad for you. I like Coke. Coke makes me feel like summertime. I like a tasty Coca-Cola. And I, I have lots of, lots of memories of Coca-Cola and I've drank it my whole life and I've enjoyed it. You're telling me I can't drink it now? Come on, man. So you know, there's this. There's, oh, so what? It dissolves nails. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> there's this analog. You know, so much of our system is based off of Rome, and you know the the someone like George Washington uh, was enamored with the the Roman consul Cincinnatus, the idea that you would do your service and then return to the countryside and live a humble life as a as a regular citizen. This was part of the, the 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 if we want to say the founding mythos, but but also I think the narrative that they wanted that to tell themselves, the narrative they wanted to believe about themselves. Harry Truman was really caught up on that story in his presidency. That's yeah. why he didn't seek another term. Right. If you if you if you go back to Rome and you look at Rome, um, there was you know there was a period of time, and the, the founders of our country were well aware of this. There was this period of time where you you. You had this uh, republic, um, you know, less democratic, obviously, than ours, more fractured than ours, more, and maybe not from the beginning in terms of a caste system. Uh, you know, ours was much more of a caste system early on than it is today. 
um, you know, favoring wealthy elites and property elites and what have you. Um, you know, but but you look at this, and and there was a period of time when, and you can see this with. Uh, I'm trying to think of the 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 one guy who who famously stood up to Caesar in in terms of integrity and uh, why is his name escaping me right now? Cato. Cato. Thank you. Cato the Cato the elder, mm-hmm. and then Cato the younger as his like you know his his nephew. I think is what it was, generation or two later. The idea was, you know, the principles of the Senate and the Republic, these is, these is what was important. And we needed to sacrifice to this. And in times of, of great peril, they would name two consuls who, when this peril, you know, was gone, the, on, the only acceptable thing to do, the only honorable thing to do was to give up power and return it back to the Senate and take your place, you know, amongst the, the, the regular elites, as opposed to, you know, they had... And, you had this period of time where, you know, if you read the Julius Caesar story, if you read the story of Pompey, you, you know, you read some of these great transitional figures, they all were very um, noble people. They all had very like noble ends. They would talk about, you know, Caesar was uh, the, 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 you know, for the plebes, he was, you know, a man of the people. He represented the commoner. He had all these troops that supported him and they just want their share of the spoils, you know, like they put their life on the line for us. Um, but when you get to the end of it, these were people that, you know, acted uh, in ways that destroyed or undermined or destroyed by their actions, uh, this greater whole. And, and they did it for reasons that we can, let's even like historically look back and say, we're noble, we're, we're good reasons. Sulla marched on the capital of Rome to, you know, and, and, and basically started a civil war to restore the Republic and restore the Senate because that's in fact what he did. And then he did retire and go into the countryside and live out his last days. Um, but they created this, this thing where you ultimately get a Nero, you ultimately get a Trajan, you ultimately get you know, uh, this, this, you know, line of emperors who are good and bad and evil and, and you know, kind and despotic and, and benevolent. But there's a different system. It transferred from the Roman Republic to the Roman Empire. And, and, and I've pondered, and I guess this is the central question that I have for you, Aaron, is was it the, 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 the buildup over time of just the inconsistencies of of a governance system, the bread and circuses, the you know the the fact that we have to conquer new lands in order to keep all this largesse going. It just became too big, too difficult to run through a republic. That it ended up having to become an empire, or was it that you actually had people who were flawed, people who were you know out for themselves, people who were were less enamored by the aura of the whole thing. Um, if you go to our capital today in the U.S. Capitol, it's full of statues and, and mementos to George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. And we invoke these names. And I think one of the reasons why I get uptight about tearing down the, the, the monuments and trashing the founding fathers and all that is because they're not supposed to be humans to us. They're supposed to be people that we aspire to be like the caricature. I recognize that George Washington used the bathroom and used vulgar language and, you know, did did things that, uh, you know, 
owned slaves. You know, he, he was a human and a very flawed human. But the caricature we have of him is this noble person who would give up power, who would work for the Republic. And, and, and those are the things that we're actually supposed to aspire to as people. Are we going to experience this decline, this, I, what I think is actually a shift to empire, if we haven't already made it, um, you know, a, a different system of governance? Um, because we're at a late stage of democracy, we've had 250 years and now this is where you end up, or is it because we are uniquely flawed? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I wonder if you have an opinion. I'm, I'm muted, sorry. I'd, I'd love to have a really good answer for you, Chuck. I think that is the question. Um, while you were talking, I was reminded of one of my favorite movies um, that I like to talk about. I don't know who's seen it, but it's an old Dumb and West. Dumber? What was no. well, well, yeah, that's, that, was the, that, that was the debate, but no. Um, no, the, uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart movie. Uh, and they share top billing in the movie. And the story is an old Western town that's just starting to civilize. Uh, there's an old, there's a gunslinger and a kind of a mercenary working on behalf of the ranchers named Liberty Valance who kind of, you know, town and it's his authority that really rules the town. Everyone's afraid of him. He'll shoot a guy. He doesn't care. He gets away with it. Doesn't matter. He is the authority. And, and uh, he's like in the old Western sense, the, the, the warlord of, of this little town. And, but, but this guy, this lawyer, young lawyer, Jimmy Stewart, uh, uh, Ranson Stoddard comes to town and he wants to uh, clean up the town. He wants to make law. Law is the, is the law and order is what's going to save this little, uh, the Shinbone, the name of Shinbone is the town. He's going to turn it into a proper, proper town. In fact, we're going to turn this old Western territory. They never say what, what territory, but we're going to make statehood and we're going to make this, we're going to settle this place. There's going to be railroads and telegraph wires and it's going to be a, you know, it, it, we're going to make this thing. It's like this, it's very, you know, a very American story of this guy. And of course he, he's just a lawyer. He, he gets kicked around. He's, you know, he, he's not, not a good shot. He can't work a gun. He doesn't know how to, he can't win a fight. You know, he's not, he's not that kind of, he's like, like us, Chuck, you know, <laughs> he's, well, well, we can, well, I'm sure we can yeah. shoot just great, but uh, sorry, Chuck, I didn't mean to include you in that, but uh, you know, you know, he's, he's this guy who kind of works with his brain, not with his hands. And, and uh, he comes into this town where people have ruled by gun and by force. And uh, he, he runs into all the old challenges and he's kind of befriends or forms a respected relationship with the John Wayne character, who's this tough guy, this old fashioned tough guy who Liberty Valance won't mess with him because he's tough. And, but, and he kind of looks out for the town, but he's also kind of aloof. He's the, well, he's John Wayne. He's the same character John Wayne plays in every movie. And, uh, and so uh, it's this big story of how uh, Liberty Valance kind of keys in on the, on the young lawyer and there's this pivotal moment where they're met, they meet in the street. They both have guns. There's shots fired. And Ranson Stoddard, the lawyer, miracle of miracles, shoots Liberty Valance and, and, and kills him. And it becomes this legend. Uh, and this young man is, is, is kind of whisked to greatness. He becomes the leader of the town's delegation for statehood. He wins statehood. He becomes a senator, a governor. He serves overseas as an ambassador. He's a great leader that comes out of this let this the story of the man who shot Liberty Valance. 
well, he didn't shoot Liberty Valance. It was the John Wayne character off stage, off screen, who who was there to protect his friend and actually did the shooting because the guy couldn't shoot. And um, and they all knew that. And so Ranton Sutter ended up with the girl that they both loved and this whole tragic story that the John Wayne character dies and that's why they're there for the funeral. And he tells this reporter all of this. And the reporter famously, this is the big line of the movie, says, when... Uh, when the legend uh, is confronted with the facts, print the legend. And, <laughs> um, you know, basically uh, print the legend is the, is the line. And, and uh, the, the, the value of Ranson Stoddard to this state as the guy who civilized the state and the symbolic value of that story is so important that they don't really even want to hear the real story. Right. And I think there's a lot of that going on right now when, uh, you know, when we look back at the kind of revisionist outlook at uh, our so-called founding fathers uh, and see their flaws. And we also wonder, you know, what could have been done to bring rights to people earlier to be just and, and equitable earlier in our history? Could we have avoided what we did to Native Americans? Could we have avoided all this? And of course, uh, the answer is yes, I suppose. But we would have also had different wars and different outcomes and, and different people would have died and history would be different. And it's hard. And of course, we're also confronted with the fact that you can't go back in time and change what's been done. You can only change what's going forward. I think the pressure, though, is um, whether the truth matters more, whether it's more important that Ranson Stoddard didn't shoot Liberty Valance, that that was actually a guy named Tom who was a local cowhand or something. Um or whether, whether the symbol is more important. And in America, I think what we've gone through is because of the different experiences Americans have had and the immigrant history of America, which has produced all kinds of different outcomes, um, we, we don't agree on the symbolism anymore. And, and the symbolism, um, and maybe a lot of people never did and we just didn't care to hear their opinions about it. You know, black America doesn't, you know, the story of George Washington and the cherry tree was not as inspirational, I think, as it might have been for you or I, Chuck, growing up. Uh, we just, you know, we were on the in and, and other people were on the out. And so that is a reckoning that we're dealing with and it's uncomfortable. Uh, but um, I feel like the answer to your question, though, and this is the, the deeply cynical part of me, uh, you know, what's more important, the actual fact of history or the myth? Yeah, I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish today. You national know, national unity requires to some extent a myth. It, it I, I think without a doubt, the, the, mm -hmm. the conversations we've had in the past where we've talked about national health care and, and single mm -hmm. payer and all this, I've, I've always said, I feel like we could do a lot of these things as Minnesotans. But I don't know if we can do these things as Americans. And, and the big insight of that for me is that I think the myth that we could tell ourselves as Minnesotans is an easier one for 13 and a half million people to buy into than the myth that we would tell ourselves to do this collective thing as a country of 320 million. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't even know what that narrative is as a country of 320 million. That, that, I mean, beyond we won 50% plus one of the election and I'm going to shove this down your throat, mm -hmm. you know, which is kind of, well, <laughs> I, I feel like that's the, you know, that's the package being offered us on the left side of the spectrum. Right and now. if you bring up healthcare, I mean, look at other countries like the national, the national health service in, in United Kingdom 
was a product of a post-war story. You know, the idea that, right. you know, we're we going to do our this. Veterans. We, we owe, owe our, our veterans. We owe all the people who sacrificed during the war. Right. And all we're those people create, who had to hide in the yeah. underground. You and know. and uh, and we're going to rebuild this country and everyone's going to have health care. And that's part of the story. And and it was a choice. The United States had that choice too. It, it chose to go a different direction for reasons that were quintessentially American. And uh, in other words, related to money. But um, uh, but that we didn't buy that myth then. We didn't buy into that then. The, the British did, but uh, we didn't. And I think like a lot of things, and that's true of whether what we do for climate change and things like that. You know, um, uh, we have we're going to have to either buy into this shared thing that we all believe in, even though it's you might find arguments. For instance. You and I, I, we could sit here, the three of us could sit here and say, climate change, nothing but nothing but a winner for Minnesota. Minnesota is going to be sitting great uh, in climate change. Uh, we're going to have great real estate, water. Let's burn coal on purpose. Um, let's just pile it up and burn it. Because honestly, carbon in the air means Minnesota is a paradise um, in the near future. But but we don't do that, and we don't, you know, I think we would want to buy into the notion that, you know, everybody matters. And I think if you're going to make, whether it's on climate change or healthcare or any of these big issues that we just can't seem to solve because of our political differences and, uh, you know, cultural differences in what we expect from government and this and that, um, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll need something to create a story, you know, um, and that's, I think, perhaps the appeal of of Trump and, and and maybe the authoritarian nature of what's happening in the country and what's happened in other countries, Brazil, Turkey, places where um, there was a, a fairly robust democracy that is now really in question whether or not they're democracies anymore, and um, and it's because people got tired of the fighting and the realities of that are difficult. The democracy, democracy is messy. messy. You know, we don't agree. You know, what about this? You know, you, you, you provide healthcare for everybody and then the taxes go up and somebody somewhere says they lost their business because of taxes. And we, we, what's we, more important, whose needs and rights are more important. And then you get into all that, that's messy, but right. a story we can all buy. In. You can buy into a story. I, I got to run. Let, let me, let me give one, one kind of last short thought to that. It does seem, you know, reminding ourselves that we're intentionally based on a Roman system and not a Greek system. Uh, the Greek system being far more democratic, far less, uh, you've called it business oriented. I think that's a fair way to, to talk about the Roman system too. Business, growth, accomplishment, empire, conquer. We, we're, we're a Roman system. Rome got to a point where they couldn't resolve these conflicts anymore. They They couldn't solve them. And they became an authoritarian empire because you needed to have a person who could essentially solve the problem, uh, whether that person was uh, Sulla, whether that person then was Julius Caesar, whether that person was uh, then Caesar Augustus, you know, solve the problem. Uh, that person also established the narrative, the narrative of Julius Caesar is a god, come mm -hmm. from, you know, the, the, his, his mom was impregnated by a god, and so he's a demigod. And then, you know, Caesar Augustus is, of course, a demigod. And here's, you know, he, so they, they established the myth. They established the narrative. 
but as part of that, they killed off uh, or, you know, physically marginalized or, you know, decapitated or what have you, uh, all their rivals. Um, when I watch like Barack Obama do DACA, which we can, we, can, we can both agree that DACA was something that needed to be done. But when we can look at, you know, President Obama doing DACA, some that even four years earlier, he would have said was unimaginable for an executive to be doing, that 20 years earlier would not have even been contemplated for an executive to do. And, and Barack Obama does it and is, is supported by the Supreme Court and, and kind of, I think, you know, broadly uh, supported by certainly his own party and by members of, you know, some members of the other party. Uh, you, you know, cross a threshold with all good intentions, not arguing that, but now you have, you know, uh, to me, a very scary place where I don't see how we resolve these things without the authoritarian president that both sides seem to be asking for right now. That is a depressing way to end, but Yay, uh, let's go. <laughs> um, but I, I am I am impressed, or, or it impresses upon me uh, the notion that when we look back at Rome, you know, all those events you just described actually took place over long periods you know, of time. Long periods of time, yeah. and and we can actually look at uh, we've got a little bit of space now. We can look back at Nixon. We can look back at um, you know the. the uh, what happened uh, at the end of Carter's administration, moving into Reagan, what Reagan did, uh, George W. Bush, uh, you know, various things. And, and they're not not all the same, whether it's a domestic policy, military policy, role of the executive. And you can see, um, not to be, I don't think it's hyperbole anymore to say that you're right. We are moving in that direction. And, and people's attitudes seem to demand it. Uh, even regular folks on Facebook seem to demand that their ideas be implemented uh, because of course the people are on our side. Um, when right. in fact it's, you know, 50, you can be a 52, 45 or a 51, 47 election. Uh, it's 50, 50 ish in this country, but because we can't work together, um, we might be fumbling away what we, what we th think we like, which is democracy. All right, you guys. Thank you. I learned. I thank listened you. a lot. But but everything will be fine. Yes. Nothing bad will happen. <laughs> no, it's all gonna be good. Yeah. Hey, if we wind up, you know, the big part of Caesar Augustus was that uh, he just increased the bread and circuses. Mm, we, we we'll get some good bread and some good circuses out of it. You know what? We right now our theory of economy, <laughs> the the whole modern monetary theory, is that we can just print as much money as we need to do as much as we want. I think we're going to have a point in the next five years where we're all just going to be getting checks every month. And yeah. UBI. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to like it for a while. It's going to well, feel see, the thing good. is when they, when they did the, the, the stimulus checks, the, through the yeah. COVID relief, everybody liked that. Let's, let's I mean, just, let's just some people, people made a show out of, I don't need to just checks. Checks are not good. Yeah, but they cashed it. And they spent it, but they sure as heck used it. They yeah. put it away or bought something or, I bought a lawnmower. It was nice. I like my lawnmower. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I bought because I'm embarrassed at this point. 